You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. Hey, I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. On this week's show, we're going to look at the drop-off in play for the Winnipeg Jets. They've really been struggling over the last few games. We're going to talk about the All-Star break and the women's game that's been added this year. And we'll talk about Kevin Sawyer and his comments and apology. All of that and more on today's show. So looking back, Kyle, at the last couple of weeks, it's been two weeks since we last podcasted. The last one was on the 8th of January, and life just getting busy and things going on, we decided to push it back till today. And so now that the Jets are off for a while for the All-Star break, we can kind of look back at the first half of this season. But let's look first at over the last couple of games. Since our last podcast, the Jets are 1-5. and five. The only win coming against the Vancouver Canucks, 4 nothing back on the 4th. They've lost four straight. People are starting to panic. Kyle, what are your thoughts on this last little stretch? Yeah, I mean, uh, exactly like you said, people are starting to panic. And I think one of the biggest things um, for me over the last uh, few weeks is just the the toll that it's taken um, on the team, but also on its fan base. If you go on any social media platform, yeah, there are still... um, people who are cheering for the team and love Paul Maurice. Um, people will always say that, but by and large, much of the fan base is growing very agitated with the play, just frustrated with what's going on. Uh, the attendance is down at Bell MTS Place a little bit. Um, even if the attendance is still there, it's not as loud in the building as it used to be. The, this whole kind of um, regression to uh, what we thought maybe the Jets were going to be like um, has not been going well for anybody so far now i heard a defense of this the other day from uh paul edmonds and it's not really a big surprise because and he even kind of referenced it at how fans always just say how much of a homer he is and how much he just loves true north and the jets and we definitely have seen that over the years but he made this defense that the jets are right now exactly where we thought they would be a bubble team they kind of overachieved a little bit for the first part of the season but now what we've kind of seen over the last little while maybe is the reality and the jets shouldn't panic because this is what we expected. What do you think of all this? And I know we talked about this kind of at the beginning of the season. We expected them to be kind of on the bubble, maybe in a playoff spot. We didn't expect them to be super high in the division. And they got good goaltending, so they were winning games. And I think people's hopes started to get up that, yes, this is a playoff team, but then now it's only a four-game skid. But people are starting to panic because really when you look at it, it's not just this last four games. There was quite a few before that where the Jets have struggled. Yeah, exactly, and and that's the real issue because losing four games after having a long win streak or playing really well for a long period of time, no big deal, but, but starting to lose games um, after your team has been continually outshot, not just for the last few weeks, but since the start of the season. If you look at the Winnipeg Jets uh, in terms of shots against, they're one of the first, like, they're leading the league in, in shots against Hellebuck, um, has the most shots against in the entire league. Uh, so the Jets um, give up the most high-danger chances, give up a ton of shots, and struggle to get anything dangerous on net. And it's been since since day one, it's been like that. I believe the Winnipeg Jets are the only team uh, that haven't had a stretch of a five-game average of having a positive expected goal differential. I think they're the only team in the league which has zero um times where they've been positive in that regard so it's definitely been like that since the start of the season and like you said they've been lucky got some good goaltending that's the only reason why they were in the playoffs uh, to begin with once that's crashed down back to average Hellebuck still with a solid save percentage this year 
the team is really, really struggling. So what's the problem? Is it just the fact that this is a bad team to begin with and now we're just finally seeing regression back to the average? Or is this something that's just kind of trending and they can kind of pull out of this? Is this coaching? Where do you place the blame here where we are right now at this point of the season? Because right now they're out of a playoff spot. Yeah, this is tough. Like, There's no easy answer. I mean, we could talk about this uh, for hours on end, or at least I could. Um, for me, part of the blame um, has to rest on Shevel Dayoff. Whether or not it's his fault or not, he is the one bringing in the pieces of the roster. And we all know that the Winnipeg's uh, defense is not quite up to snuff, right? We, we've known that for months. Guys, waiver pickups like Spiza, guys like Potato should not be playing top four minutes. Tucker Pullman playing above his pay grade as well. So that's, for me, on Shovel Day Off, you could argue that his hands were tied in the offseason with guys leaving the Buffett situation. Is it his fault 100%? Probably not. But, but some of the blame has to fall there. And on the other side, I think some has to fall on the coach because... Obviously, the systems he's playing are not working. He's um, Maurice is implementing the thing that baffles me a lot of the times is the defensive zone coverage. It's a very man-to-man D-zone structure. The Winnipeg Jets aren't good enough to cover teams man-to-man. They just get flat-out beat. So for me, it's a little bit systems-oriented as well. And obviously, the blame still has to fall on the players too because a coach can only do so much, right? Yes, the players are playing to what the coach tells them to do, but they still have to make plays. The Jets have missed shots. The Jets have hit posts. The Jets have just lost puck battles, specifically in the Carolina game. Kyle Connor just gets beat to the net by Justin Williams. It's a race to the net. Connor can tie him up, just doesn't. He loses the puck battle, the puck's in the back of the net. So I think the blame has to fall on everybody. And some fans are pinning it more on Shovel Dayoff. Some are pinning it more on Maurice. Some are strictly pinning it on the players. But for me, you have to share it amongst all of them. No, I definitely understand right where you are and sharing the blame amongst all of them. And I agree with basically everything you said there. You, one other factor, too, and I get that a lot of teams have injuries, but it's definitely been a big thing this year for the Jets. Dustin Bufflin's injury, he has been out for the entire year, and he was a part of that plan. And then all of a sudden he retired, and then that whole injury debacle, and he's been out since. And so then that's kind of handcuffed to Chevrolet Day off to a degree as well. So his injury has been a big part of the story this season. Brian Little's been out basically the entire year. He's played a handful of games. And so that's basically your number two center. Whether you like Little or not, he's been a consistent 40 to 50 point getter over his career. And that's a big hole when he can play regular minutes for your club. And then now Adam Lowry's going out. There's been injuries on the blue line to Beaulieu. Niku's having some um, injury problems as well, and now he's finally in. But again, even he's still a fringe guy. And like you said, all these call-ups, the fourth line has been Shaw and uh, Shore and Harkins and all these guys who on a lot of other teams necessarily wouldn't be in the NHL. And I saw the last couple of games that I watched, the fourth line gets out there and I actually kind of like the way they start. They get some energy, they come into the zone, and I'm like, all right, here we're going to go. And then they get a chance, but they just can't score because it's the fourth line. They don't have that finish. And so they're getting chances, but then it just quickly goes back the other way. And so I've liked at times, but again, you can tell they're a fourth line because the finish just isn't quite there. And so when you look at the Jets over the last couple of games, you definitely see some of the blame game happening. Now, the real question, though, is, and so now that we've kind of diagnosed all the different things that have gone wrong, who's kind of to blame, 
what do the Winnipeg Jets do to fix it? They've got a week, just over a week. They lost to Columbus, and now they have a week and a couple of days until they play again on Friday the 31st. What do they do to fix this? Yeah, so, I mean, the interesting thing is, in my perspective, you have kind of all three parties to blame, the GM, the coach, and the players. So it would make sense that all three would work towards fixing it. It, that would make sense. The, the problem is, uh, at this point in the season, Kevin Chevalier's hands are, are pretty much tied unless he's making a trade. And I find it tough to believe that the Winnipeg Jets are in the market for a trade because who are you going to trade on the current roster that will get you anything valuable to add to your roster? Nothing unless you give up a valuable piece of your roster, right? Like you're not going to win the deal unless you're trading your prospects away. But Winnipeg doesn't want to trade their defensive prospects away because if you look at their blue line now, they're going to need help next year or the year after. They're not in a position to trade their young assets. They don't really have any old assets. They're not really rebuilding. So you can't really make it up with a trade. That's my thought anyways. Yeah, right. They don't have well, the ex- We'll dive into that more maybe trade deadline day, but I don't think there's a move that Chevrolet will make to make the team better. Yeah, they don't have an expiring contract that's easy to shed for a prospect or a pick. And you, like you said, they don't have just tons of assets, and they're not even in a position right now that they necessarily could use a boost like that. But what would the Winnipeg Jets need? Let's say they could just get somebody in the lineup. What would do it? And watching these, the games, they would obvi- I think they need a big mobile, like strong defensively defensemen. And I think they need some help up front as well, especially now with Lowry and Little out, you're hurting at center. Yeah, you've got Shifley and Wheeler, but you need some more. And I guess Cop can move to the center, but they look thin up front other than those top two lines. Yeah, <laughs> the problem is there's so many issues, and we we point to the defense, and yes, that's been an issue, but if you look at the Jets' goal scoring, it also hasn't been that good. Like you said, the fourth line just hasn't been able to finish. That third line, um, Adam Lowry, has been purely snake bit for most of the year, just hardly able to get any offense off his stick, so it's frustrating all around. But anyways, for me, if if there's if Shovel Dayoff's not going to make a move, I don't know if he will or not, but you have to look at the other two pieces, then that's the coach and the players. And, and the players, you can say they're trying hard, but the other team they're playing against is trying just as hard. So the players, essentially, they need to do as much as they can. Um, but Paul Maurice also has to think, could he implement a different style, a different system? Is there anything he can do, say, change to somehow change the way the Winnipeg Jets are playing because obviously what they're doing right now isn't really working at all. With this unit, do you think there is a line combination change or switch? We haven't really talked about that, but is there a switch that could really make any difference? Like, just looking at this group, and because we put the onus here on the players, is there anything the players could do differently as far as like how they organize this personnel that could make a difference? Because even the good players, even Morrissey and Pionk, like, they still need to be better. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at, like, the defensive pairings are, are tough, right? Because you're dealing with a bunch of AHL-level defensemen out there, so you essentially can't win no matter how you set up your deep pairings, right? And that's just how it's going to go. But as far as the forward lines go, it's pretty clear who your top six forwards are, right? Like, there's really no, unless you're moving Appleton up, 
or we saw a little bit of a switch uh, yesterday where Perot was playing with uh, Roslevic and Ehlers, Kopp was playing with Wheeler and Appleton, unless you throw something like that in the middle. But other than that, it's pretty clear who your top six players are, maybe Andrew Kopp and Jack Roslevic for your seventh best player, but then you're, you're, you have a very clear bottom six as well, and unless you're mixing it all up, which you could, would that help the team? Possibly try to spread out the scoring a little bit. But I don't see how that would make any drastic differences from what where they're at right now. So then, uh, I've we've always kind of been on this show a little bit of a supporter of Paul Maurice compared to a lot of people who are hating online. Where are you right now on the Fire Maurice camp? Well, I don't think the Jets will fire Paul Maurice. I think they will be loyal to him like they have in the past. Um, do I personally think he should be fired? Probably not at this point, um, because we're already near the end of January. What's a new guy going to come in and do, right? Like It's a tough spot. A lot of people get fired earlier on in the season, like we saw in October, November, December. But now that you're kind of hitting this spot, by the time the coach comes in, establishes what he wants, the trade deadline's already almost over, maybe is over at that point by the time the coach really gets a grasp on the team and then you haven't added or subtracted any pieces, and then what do you do? I mean, yeah, it's possible, but I don't see how that would really help the team right now. Well, the only thing, though, is, too, that oftentimes you do get a little bit of a boost playing for a new coach, and so that if the Jets are serious about making the playoffs, that might be a thing where they get a new player, they get a new coach before the trade deadline, and then he can maybe give them enough of a boost and this break here and the rest, and all of a sudden, boom, they're back in a playoff spot and can squeak in, and then who knows what can happen. Even if you get one playoff series win under your belt, just the revenue and the excitement in the city if you could win a playoff round. But So that would be the only benefit, and then that coach has the ability to assess all of the players for a chunk of time before the summer break, and then would have a better understanding of his players going into a fresh start next season. That's the only thing that... I would think of is that if you were going to get somebody in, there would be some benefits that potentially getting you in just from the boost that teams often get from getting a new coach, maybe getting some players back, getting Bufflin back all of a sudden in that final little stretch run. That's the only benefit I could see. I am starting to warm up more to the idea of fire Maurice. I just, but kind of like we said though, if this is the Jets, if the Jets are where we expected them to be, well, then really it's not on Maurice. They've just kind of gone back to the average. And so he is one of the longest tenured coaches right now in the NHL. If the Jets do make a change, it wouldn't completely shock me because especially if this streak continues, at what point did, do you just say, no, it's we need a change? Yeah, exactly. And it's tough to, to know when you reach that point, right? Vegas uh, getting rid of Gerard Gallant after, I think it was a three or four game losing streak as well, but they've spent time near the top of the division. I mean, the Jets have almost been there this season, but not quite. So Gallant getting fired for seemingly much less than what the Jets have gone through recently. Uh, the, the interesting thing for me is who would the Winnipeg Jets want to replace Paul Maurice? Would they just... Um, promote from within for the end of the season, or would they go out and get Gerard Gallant, uh, Laviolette, or, or anybody potentially available uh, right now? Would those guys even help, potentially? Um, the one thing that I think um, is going on right now, Paul Maurice, in the last year of his contract, 
Uh, so I'm curious to see if the Jets just don't renew him in the offseason and go about it that way rather than a, a public firing. Uh, because we often think about just the business side, but the human side of things, Paul Maurice, a very beloved figure in Winnipeg, uh, great within the organization. Uh, his family has, has roots in Winnipeg. Just all that sort of thing would probably be an easier thing, a better for the whole organization to just let him go in the off season rather than a, a very public firing. That's just my two cents. I I know the that the Jets are very lo- very loyal to their coaches and their organization should have a layoff the only GM ever for the franchise. So that's why I don't think it will happen. But like you said, could the Jets use that extra boost and potentially get into the playoffs? I mean, we might never know. So the last time the Jets fired their coach, Claude Noel, do you remember when exactly he was fired? Was it around this time of year? Yeah, I think it was. I don't have the, the dates in front of me, but it was it was near near around this time of year. Yeah, and so uh, he was with the Winnipeg Jets when they returned. He was here for a few seasons. He was actually fired January 12th. 2014 and so it was right around this time when Paul Maurice took over and correct me if I'm wrong the Jets squeaked into a playoff spot that oh no they they missed the playoffs that year I think right then the next year they made it it was the the next year where they they squeezed in yeah and so it's, it's I don't know maybe this is the time of year the Jets would be thinking about it, but uh, just something to think about. And I know we've got other stuff we want to get to, so we're going to move on here with this first segment as we've kind of looked back at the last few games for the Winnipeg Jets. So we just looked the last few minutes, probably actually the last 15 minutes, talking about the Jets over the last couple of games, all of their problems, all of their woes. But right now, they get to forget about that. They go on break off until the 31st. And this weekend is the NHL All-Star Weekend. And uh, we've talked about this in years past on the podcast. And there's only so many different ways you can talk about it and cover it. But what are your thoughts on the All-Star Weekend? Anything you're looking forward to? Yeah, it's going to be pretty much the same as always, status quo. Uh, They're adding a few more uh, women's uh, elements in there. Uh, I believe a three-on-three women's game going on. I I know last year uh, women incorporated kind of in the skills competition. uh, So a little bit more incorporation of that again. It's always cool to see uh, that going on. Uh, As far as the Jets, I mean, Shifley's going, Hellebuck's going. Uh, the game going to be, I, I believe, status quo, pretty much the same as always. Uh, but it's always fun to uh, catch the action and, and see kind of the different side of the players. I was doing some research on uh, All-Star games in the past. The first one was in 1947, and they, for the first number of years, it was a number of All-Star players playing against the team that just won the Stanley Cup the year before. So that'd be kind of an interesting format if all of a sudden all the best players in the league have to go play against the St. Louis Blues. I just can't see that ever happening again anymore. And then in the 60s, that's when they kind of switched to all all all-star players. And then they kind of transitioned to, it was first uh, East versus West. And then there's been so many different formats from picking players and kind of like a draft style. And now to the three-on-three competition that we've got right now. And so it's really changed over the years. Uh, Gordy Howe holds the record for 23 all-star appearances. And I know all-star games used to have a lot more significance than they do now. I think the players like the recognition, especially those players who only go a few times. Uh, Obviously, Ovechkin said he's going to sit out for maintenance, and I understand that. But 
it's it's still nice to have that on your resume. Yeah, I got I was having a good season. I got invited to the All Star game, and it's nice to get that recognition. And so now for this weekend, the skills competitions Friday night. The All Star game is coming up on Sunday, and it's again the All Star tournament. And so then they play uh, at seven fifteen, eight fifteen, and then nine fifteen, and then it's kind of just the same kind of tournament we've seen the last couple of years. I've watched it a bit. The three-on-three format's definitely more entertaining than the five-on-five hockey because the three-on-three is kind of like what we see in overtime during the season. It's still that uh, high-speed players can do some skill stuff, but you don't see a lot of hitting during the regular season in overtime because then that puts you out of position. And so they have some fun. Skills competition's always fun. Is there any kind of... uh, There's a few new skills competitions that have been added. Anything you're looking for this weekend, Kyle? Not particularly. I mean, <laughs> there's only so many types of things you can do, um, but it's always cool to see. Uh, I like watching the different relay races. Uh, my favorite one is watching those guys do the saucer passes into those little six-inch nets. Uh, blows my mind every time uh, hitting those passes, so that's always fun to see for me. And I think this year the women's uh, three-on-three is probably going to be the highlight, and just the way they're hyping it up. It's probably going to be pretty intense. These women are really going to try and showcase their stuff. And I know we've talked women's hockey a bit in the past. Uh, The NWHL is playing this season, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know all the the details on that, but as far as I'm aware, it's uh, going ahead like normal. Yeah, so I know they had kind of walked out, but those teams are still playing this year. And so now these top women players still get a little bit of uh, a recognition here with this three-on-three game, Canada against the U.S., It's kind of interesting. Women's hockey is more on the national side of things at this stage with Canada's team and the Americans team. Those really are the only two elite women's hockey teams out there for the most part, right? Yeah, exactly. And you have different players from other countries. And and, I mean, the normal superpowers, Russia, Sweden, uh, Finland, just not quite up to the level as far as the depth is concerned. Um, but like we've seen in, in men's hockey in recent years, there's going to be a time where those other nations totally catch up. And it's probably not going to be that far away because looking back at the history of women's hockey, it's it's Canada and the U.S. and the final of literally every single tournament. Uh, it's not going to be too long in the next five, six, seven years where we start seeing some other countries uh, potentially taking home gold and some of those things. And that's really important for the growth of the women's game. I really still am a believer that the NHL needs to take over the NWHL. They need to promote it together. They need to do everything together to make that league successful, get more people aware that there even is a women's pro hockey league. And I know I've talked to people before about it and they didn't even really know that it existed. And so I think that they need to do that kind of partnership together to bring that awareness. And I think just having the women at this uh, NHL All-Star weekend, I think is a step in the right direction. And who knows what we'll see in the next five to 10 years. And as we start a new decade of 2020, uh, I think by the time we get to 2030 in the next 10 years, we're going to see a lot as far as women's hockey is concerned. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about the All-Star weekend and or women's hockey? No, I think it's going to be fun, especially uh, watching Shifley and uh, Hellebuck with the two representatives. Uh, I know Line A didn't quite get in with the fan vote, but it's still uh, still going to be fun with two reps. Definitely. Well, we are going to chat a little bit in just a few minutes about uh, the one last topic, Kevin Sawyer and his public apology. So I think a lot of Jets fans are kind of aware of the Kevin Sawyer incident. And I know there's a lot of people who aren't big fans of Kevin Sawyer's commentary to begin with, let alone his comments a couple of weeks ago. What are your thoughts on him and this whole incident, Kyle? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so he issued a public apology for his comments uh, from a few weeks back. Comments a few weeks back, uh, talking about um, Jared Spurgeon um, being uh, duct taped uh, to a wall or, or pole, essentially for his 16th birthday when he was on a junior team there. Uh, Kevin Sawyer, an assistant coach there at the time. Uh, the thing for me is, for Kevin Sawyer when he originally uh, told that story. There was very, there was lots of confusion going on about that. He didn't get many seconds to explain what actually happened in the story, and, and the way it kind of came out of his mouth, it essentially sounded like Sawyer had participated in almost like a hazing ritual with Spurgeon. Uh, with the public apology coming out, we realized that's actually not the case at all. Um, but regardless, Sawyer issuing a, uh, an apology about the comments in general because they shouldn't have been made to begin with, especially without. Uh, time or, or explanation as to what was actually going on. Just total confusion across the board, but good on Sawyer for making that apology and uh, and making things right. Yeah, it seemed very ill-prepared when he first made the comments. Like, he didn't really expect to be sharing this story. All of a sudden, this player comes up, and then he's like, oh, I, I remember once this crazy story that happened, not thinking about the repercussions, thinking about the way it sounds. He didn't explain the story very well and you know you sometimes especially with the way things are going now if you would have just left out some of the details that first time and even if you had said something like hey I remember Jared Spurgeon I was his coach uh, way back some great memories with him I remember this one year some of the players played some pranks on him at his uh, 16th birthday Uh, what a great player loved getting along with him if he said that there would be probably no problems right yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just the way he went about it. It's so bad. Just the way he explained it. He explained it so bad. Like, it was a major hazing incident, and Jared Spurgeon then had no comment for a while, and the apology shed a lot of light on it, and it, he, he explained it much better that this wasn't hazing, I was not a part of it, I walked in, I saw him taped to the pole, it was for his 16th birthday, everybody was singing happy birthday, it was a funny moment, they got him down, it was nobody's scarred from this it's again just why are you sharing this to begin with like it's not adding anything and so I'm kind of surprised he didn't lose his job in a sense and when he explained it I I felt it was very heartfelt and I think he did a good job in explaining it because he had time to prepare and I may understand why there was a delay you want to make sure it's done right you want to make sure everything's investigated you got everything kind of all your X's crossed and your T's crossed and your I's dotted before you come out and make that explanation. I think that's going to be a good enough explanation for a lot of people. They're going to be fine. They're going to carry on. The people who don't like him to begin with, this is only just adding fuel to the fire. And we'll see how many more seasons he lasts as a Jets broadcaster, especially if he keeps saying stuff like this. But I feel that they handled it well once now everything's kind of come to light by the end of it. Maybe they could have done it a little bit sooner, but sometimes you kind of got want to wait a little bit on those things. Yeah, I totally agree. The only thing a lot of people had an issue with was the time uh, factor. Uh, Ray Ferraro getting a few broadcasts in between. It was kind of up in the air. Nobody knew what was going on. Kevin Sawyer wasn't doing broadcasts. He wasn't really talking about it. Uh, but I think exactly like you said, it was for the kind of the investigation purposes. Uh, a story coming out yesterday as well uh, after he made the apology from the Athletic about Jared Spurgeon and his comments on the whole thing. 
Uh, so it obviously took some time to get his comments. Uh, he essentially confirming everything Sawyer said in his apology. Um, no hard feelings at all, just a, a nice little prank, all good. No issue whatsoever. So I think for me, the only reason why it took so long was because of um, kind of the investigation process, getting everything right, making sure, like you said, everything is documented, correctly done. Let's move on. What's done is done. Simple as that. Exactly. You don't want to confuse a serious hazing incident with just a couple of guys playing a prank that the coach didn't have anything to do with that walked in on. You, you want to make sure that everything's okay. And I think that's what's kind of happened here. Is there anything else you want to add on this or on the podcast here today? No, we've covered it all pretty well. All right. Well, there you go. If there's anything else you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter. We are at Jets and podcast. Find all of the Jets nation podcasts at jetsnation.ca.